Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. The Silver King and Vintage Chris Vanini are here, just 24 hours removed from WWE Money in the Bank with another explosive episode of your favorite podcast. Not only are we going to talk about everything that happened Monday night on Raw, the fallout from WWE Money in the Bank, we actually have some items still to talk about from SmackDown. And the Silver King got the job done. WWE came through when I asked. And I have a one-on-one interview with none other than Mr. Money in the Bank, Big E. Big E, There is a lot of beef on today's edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and I am extremely excited to bring it all to you. But please, before you listen to this episode, if you have not already, be sure to listen to our WWE Money in the Bank instant analysis. We posted it very early Monday morning. As soon as that pay-per-view went off the air and I was able to publish it, and Chris Benini and I, it's one of my favorite instant analysis episodes that we've ever done breaking down the entire pay-per-view. We were both so excited and happy. Chris was in attendance in Fort Worth, Texas at the event. It was so much fun and so positive. And this show may not be as positive outside, of course, of the Big E interview. But we're going to get to all of that in a moment. We're trying to run through things very quick today. A reminder before I bring in, Chris, what this show is all about. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. I just got the numbers back in from last week. The Getting Over Wrestling Podcast was the number 26 wrestling podcast in North America. That is our highest ranking ever. And it was probably because of Money in the Bank Week and the multiple episodes we did. But we are so close to that top 25 and your guys' reviews, your word of mouth telling people to listen to the show. It really, really helps. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So with all of that out of the way, Chris, I'm bringing you in. Look, we're doing this right after Raw. The Silver King is exhausted. I am on basically no sleep. Golf into WWE, into SEC Media Days, into Raw. It's just, I am wired right now. This is what I want to say about Raw. This is how I'm going to intro you and bring you in. Monday night, the show, it had its great moments. No doubt. But top to bottom, it was a pretty terribly booked episode of television and not much different from what we've seen most weeks. It to me, dude, makes absolutely zero sense that you would do such a great job booking SmackDown week to week and put on such a terrible raw product only to turn around after an awesome go home SmackDown to Money in the Bank and a tremendous pay-per-view to not improve the raw product Really, one iota outside of a couple new names. I thought this was going to be an easy show today, but it was segment after segment of repetitive shit or straight up, in many cases, bad booking. I thought we were going to be excited and all happy about this. You're away from home right now, but I thought we were going to be positive like Friday and Saturday, but man, I was wrong. Man, yeah. So second Episode of Renault here. I'm on the road. Last night I was driving home from the pay-per-view when we recorded the podcast. 
Tonight, I am at at my parents' home in Michigan. I'm here for uh, Mid-American Conference Media Days tomorrow morning. Are you saying that you're broadcasting from your mother's basement? I am literally in my parents' basement right now, <laughs> which means the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is now officially a real wrestling IWC podcast, podcast. Yeah, officially. Yes, but so this episode of Raw was terrible. It would, may have been the worst episode in a long time, if not for two very nice moments. It was absolute garbage and i it's good that biggie's gonna bring the power of positivity at the end of this episode because there's not gonna be a lot of it uh in the build-up to this it boggles the mind how the same company that put on money in the bank can put on what we saw tonight that's the thing right and it's not just money in the bank but it's smackdown and look we know smackdown is now the a show it's the fox show i understand all of that but they did clearly save them some things to make raw exciting but the way in which they did them, they, they kneecapped themselves. They basically said, we're going to give you this and we're going to give it to you something that should excite you, that get, should really pop you, but we're going to give it to you in either the worst possible way or just a really bad way. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's show. And for anyone who does happen to be a first time listener, maybe you are listening to us for the Biggie interview, and I hope you are. That's awesome. We are a very fair podcast. We praise WWE sometimes when people criticize it. And we criticize WWE sometimes when people praise it, we give you our legitimate opinions. And that's what we're going to do on today's show. Because again, there were some great moments and there's also some really good things that happened on SmackDown that we saved for this show because it didn't factor into money in the bank and we wanted to give it its own time. But you have to consider, you know, not just the present, but the wrapping that you're given. And the wrapping was, instead of someone buying some nice wrapping paper and, and putting these things together with a bow on top, it's like they just threw them in a bag or used old newspaper, maybe newspaper that had vomit on it from a dog or something like that. Yikes. And that's how, and that's how they wrap these presents. So look, we're going to get into the show right now. Let me tell you guys how the show is going to work. We are not going to do DM slides, questions from you guys on today's shows, just because we have so much to talk about. I promise we will do a full DM segment next week. I got a ton of messages from you guys. I want you all to kind of digest everything that happened this week, see what happens Friday on SmackDown and next Monday on Raw. And you guys can send those DMs in a flurry. We will do a whole segment next week. But today, as always, we're going to start with the main event. Our second segment is going to be the Big E interview. It's tremendous. It's one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done, honestly. And I want you guys to listen to it. And then we will wrap up the show, as always, with the good, the bad, and the ugly, our final segment. And in case you are listening to this in parts, we will have timestamps in our episode description, so be sure to check that out. But as I said, this episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is going to start like every WWE edition, and that is by sliding into the main event. And we are going to start with the way Raw started. The first thing we saw outside of Money in the Bank, John Cena opening Raw, and Chris, it was electric. Not quite the rock electric but electric nonetheless. He spent five minutes putting over the fans before saying he returned for Roman Reigns to take the Universal title off him at SummerSlam. There were what chants that depressed me, like, how have we not moved on from that after 18 months without fans? Stop it with the what chants. If you guys go to shows, please stop it. We're past it. Cena then called Reigns an asshole, which WWE stupidly bleeped. They said <laughs> bullshit later in the show. Charlotte Flair is giving the finger on Money in the Bank, and they're bleeping the word asshole. Please give me a break. Um, but then he called Reigns arrogant, self-absorbed, overhyped, overprotected, and an overexposed gimmick 
who's not as over as he thinks. And he would know because he's John Cena. He said those who are good demand to be acknowledged, but those who are great know they're great. Outside of the bullshit bleep that was clearly planned, it was a hot open. It was a great promo. It gets you ready to watch SmackDown and it gets you excited for SummerSlam because you know this match is coming up. They're clearly going in the work shoot direction, which works for me. It was the last time that they had a feud. They did a work shoot feud. It worked then also. There were also some callbacks in this promo. I don't know if you noticed to the Bray Wyatt feud uh, and the last time Cena left WWE for an extended period of time ahead of WrestleMania 36, as well as his prior feud with Reigns. So for me, Chris, this thing totally worked. It was a great start to the show. Did I wish there was a little bit more meat to chew on? Sure. But the goal was really just to get Cena to pop the crowd and get you to watch Friday. Yeah, I, I liked it. I liked that he explained. He gave you a little bit of the explanation on the Roman stuff and then hinted what's to come Friday. Great. Right. By the way, I'm pretty sure he called Roman a fucking asshole, and I think that's why they. Beat him. No, he wouldn't. Have, John would not have said that. I thought that's what he said, and I I did a, a Twitter search to see that, and a, a few other people think so too. Maybe not a ton. Maybe I was wrong, but that's what I thought he said. I uh, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm not saying that you're wrong, but in the moment, I did but, not think he said that. Yeah. I, it, it would yeah. So, but but it, it was good. It was exciting. You know, he gets the crowd going. He's still one of the best promo guys there is getting things out in an interesting way. And it was fun. It was, it was a good start. It was a good, a smart decision, obvious decision to, to start uh, the show with him. That's a good point for a guy who's been away so long, came back, didn't lose a step in the promo game. Not that you would expect him to, but you know, he was great. Like he had never left. It's very similar to when the rock comes back and he just cuts those promos. He goes, you know, the rock can go 15 to 20 minutes in a, in a ring doing a promo without any script or anything. And you're like, wow, man, if, WWE only developed the rest of the roster that way in a promo game, let them sink or swim live with a mic as opposed to being scripted. You wonder what other people really are capable of. But this might be the shortest main event topic ever because there's really nothing else to say about John Cena. So let's move on to the second part of our three-part main event. We had WWE champion Bobby Lashley announce an open challenge saying he did all the talking he needed to do destroying Kofi Kingston. MVP told the Dallas crowd, it's been decades since they've seen a winner. She just took a shit on the Cowboys to some booze. He apologized to Lashley for losing sight of his dominance being the most important thing, not the spoils of being champion. And he said any challenger who stepped up to Lashley would be annihilated. The crowd started lightly chanting for Goldberg. They were standing, staring at the entranceway, getting their cameras out, only for Keith Lee to make his surprise return and confront Lashley. It was unfortunate in the moment that the reaction was muted because the return subverted the expectations of Goldberg and Keith Lee, as much as I love him, barely got a chance to get over in a major way on Raw before having what we presume is a medical you know, condition issue and being out of action for six months. So Keith didn't get the pop that he should have initially, but at home, I popped, I stood up off my couch, I was extremely excited, and what I saw online is he got a lot of cheers and chants during the commercial break. Yeah, and, and the other issue is that when they did Keith Lee's entrance, they start his music, it might have been the TV I was watching on, but I could not really tell what the music no, was. No, I couldn't either, and they showed Lashley as opposed to showing the screen yes. with his name on it. And then yes. they zoom in close yeah. on the entrance where he comes out so you don't see the name, so it was kind of a weird way to do that and, and his music and, isn't because it's still new and it wasn't the one yes. even he originally debuted with in wwe yes. 
it's not recognizable enough for the music to make you pop. Yep. If we got the old Baskin is glory into right. the into the NXT theme we loved, that would have gotten a pop. I, exactly. I, I know it would have. That's why this is why music is important to these things. And it kind of a bit of a not a stumble, kind of a slow coming out of the gate. But I was super happy to see Keith Lee, particularly because I was expecting Goldberg. So right. I was because I honestly I mean, we'll get into Goldberg later. But I there was a part of me that thought coming in that the Goldberg rumors were a, a, a swerve to set up something else. So when Keith Lee came out, I was like, oh, maybe this is maybe this is what it's going to be. You know, we'll get into what happened, but I very, very happy to see Keith Lee. They kept talking about how he's a native Texan and, and stuff like that. So it's just awesome for, for Keith Lee to get back. This was one of those few uh, really bright spots overall. So the match started, it was a non-title match, but it was an open challenge. They called it a championship contender match, which basically meant, I guess, if Lee wins, he gets a title match. Very similar. Honestly, I'm glad there's a title to that because normally they do, oh, you pin the champion. You, now that there's like a label to it, yeah. like that helps. I, it's it's similar, but not exact to what AEW does, which I really like. They do championship eliminator matches where you mm-hmm. get an opportunity to fight the champion. If you win, you get a title match. If you don't, I believe you don't get to challenge for the title while that person is champion. I think it's something like that. Now, WWE, despite it having a large roster because it's split, it doesn't have enough people where they can add that stipulation. But I, I do like, to your point, that they gave it a name. They didn't just say, oh, here's a match. And if he beats the champion, it's, it's just much easier to call it that. But nevertheless, um, it was a non-title match. Lee popped the crowd with a leapfrog. Lashley countered a spirit bomb with a flatliner. There was some sloppiness, okay? Presumably due to ring rust on Lee's part. So I'm not going to really blame him for that. Lashley struggled to lift him in the helicopter move outside. So, ran, so Lee instead uh, took him, put him down, and ran him into the post. Lashley ran around half the ring for a spear outside but he couldn't get the hurt lock in because Keith Lee is obviously a huge man. He hit an almighty spine buster, which was impressive, and a spear, and he beat Keith Lee clean in the middle of the ring. Now, I wasn't thrilled that he got beat like that, but Lashley is a strong champion, and Lee just came back. So even though there was a lot of... Even though there was a lot of beef flying in the ring and a lot of meat-on-meat action in that match, it was lessened a little bit due to the clear ring rust on Keith's part. So if he was going to lose to Lashley, I would much rather it be in this match, in this situation, given the booking with Kofi, given what happened after that, than two months from now, he gets a WWE Championship match on Raw and loses in five minutes. This was the spot to have Keith Lee lose. The big takeaway for me, I know some people want to focus on the negative of him losing. The takeaway for me is that Keith Lee is back. Okay. And that's a huge win for fans and presumably a huge win for him considering he had to fight through medical clearance concerns. So I'm happy Keith Lee's back. And would I have normally been mad that he lost? Maybe, but I'm not in this circumstance. Yeah. I mean, he lost to the WWE champion who had just destroyed Kofi Kingston the night prior. I, it was, you know, would we love for Keith Lee to come back and be right into the title picture or something like that? Sure, but that's not going to happen. And you're glad Keith Lee is back. I thought the promo work was good beforehand. 
Lashley continues to get better and, and better, really, on the mic and just kind of doing everything. The match was a little sloppy. I think part of it, too, was the fact that these guys like to do power moves, and these are some of the biggest guys they've ever gone gone up against with each other, and it took a little extra strength maybe to, to do some of that uh, literal heavy lifting. Uh, but, yeah, overall, it was it was good to see him. You know, we move forward with them. Excited to see what happens with Keeley next. Please put the U.S. title on him or something. Change something up there. Uh, do something with him. But uh, great that he's back. And, and Lashley continues to be pretty awesome. Yes, that is true. Please now do something with Keith Lee. I would love to see him in a triple threat for the United States Championship with Damian Priest and Sheamus. You want to talk about a match that would rock at SummerSlam? That triple threat for the U.S. title would rock. At SummerSlam, I just want to quickly say, Keith Lee tweeted after the show just a couple minutes ago before we started taping. Thank you, Dallas. Instant goosebumps. Keep that up and no one will have a choice but to listen. So, hey, you head to a show. Cheer for Keith Lee. And now we get to the shit. Because, Chris, right after the match, Goldberg's music hit. And he returned to confront Lashley, laughing in his face and screaming, I'm next. When Goldberg came out, Lashley actually mouthed that mother effer, but you know, the whole word. (laughs) And that was a good sell by him in the moment, very similar to the way Brock Lesnar sold for Keith Lee at the Royal Rumble. So I appreciated that on Lashley's part. MVP then backstage said Goldberg disrespected Lashley and he won't dignify it with a response. So look, I was infuriated by this. And you guys know anyone who follows us on Twitter at Getting Overcast knows that this has been building in me for over a week. And I'm still mad, but I have to say that the energy I had to go on maybe an epic all-time rant in that moment when I first learned about it, it's been reduced over time and me seriously lacking sleep. Here's the long and short of it. It's an absolute insult and a slap in the face to WWE fans. Because in what world does Goldberg, who can't wrestle more than a three-minute match now and just lost a title match to Drew McIntyre in January, six months ago, deserved this opportunity in kayfabe. And in what reality does anyone actually want to see Lashley versus Goldberg on the same show that you're already getting another part-time world title match that is going to be eons better in Reigns versus Cena? This is not a situation where WWE does not have superstars that can build up for this spot. It is proof of long-term horrendous booking for this company. A company that can't be bothered to figure out what to do with Andrade or to realize that returning Aleister Black is something fans are interested in and keep him signed. But hey, let's bring Goldberg back so we can sweat profusely and barely lift the WWE champion at SummerSlam. I don't give a shit that the fans in attendance in Dallas chanted his name and popped for him. One month after we got a squash for the WWE title with Kofi Kingston, it happened one night ago. I'm saying going forward one month, we're going to now see a three minute snooze fest at WWE's most important show of the year. If Lashley squashes Goldberg, I don't know that he gains anything because he's already dominated McIntyre and Kofi and been a very strong WWE champion. And heaven forbid Goldberg beats Lashley and takes the WWE title like he did to the Fiend. When this is the booking, when you're putting Goldberg in this spot, you cannot put that potential reality past WWE. Now you may say, hey, Silver King, wait a minute. 
Biggie loves Goldberg. He can cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase on his dream opponent and rejoin New Day as the WWE champion on Raw. Okay, sure. That's true. Maybe that happens. Except the impact of him beating Goldberg at SummerSlam isn't as much as it would be in comparison to cashing in and beating Reigns, or maybe even Lashley by comparison, if he beats Goldberg. You want Goldberg at SummerSlam? You want to sell tickets with Goldberg in attendance? Fucking fine. Do it. No argument from me. Put him on the show. Put him in a non-title match that gets Keith Lee over. Let him beat the shit out of a heel like Elias for a cheap Las Vegas pop. Remember what they did with Dolph Ziggler a couple years ago? That was perfect. You want to use Goldberg? Use fucking Goldberg. But stop putting these old, irrelevant, over-the-hill stars in important world championship matches at major pay-per-views while simultaneously being unable to build your own roster to a point where the fans can get heavily invested in new baby faces being in these spots and potentially winning the title. You want big pops? Build up your roster so that your baby faces give big pops the way that an old washed up guy like Goldberg can. This is garbage. It's bullshit. And it's a paradigm of all of WWE's problems. This is bullshit, man. Mark at zero. Zero point zero. You made it. You made a good point in there. Which was, I think I made a lot of good points in there. Well, one that stuck out to me, and one that I thought about too, which was you had two part timers show up in the last two days, and today just basically declare they are the number one contender for a championship match. But there is such a difference between the two of them. Cena came back and said, "I came back for you fans. I'm not. It's it's not about winning my 17th world title. It's because of Roman Reigns, and I miss this place, and I love you guys." And you can get behind that as a fan, even if you don't like Cena, because you know he's going to put in the effort and you know it's going to be pretty good on the way there and the match is going to be pretty good too. So you can deal with it. You can't deal with what we're going to get out of Goldberg. And I'm going to say it here, the same thing I said when Goldberg versus Drew got lined up. Goldberg is not winning. He's not going to beat Bobby Lashley, just like he was not going to beat Drew McIntyre. This is supposed to be another rubber stamp moment for Bobby Lashley. The problem is it's not going to be that because nobody cares about Goldberg anymore. I refuse to believe that that a single ticket is sold because somebody wants to see Goldberg or, 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 or something like that. It's just it doesn't happen. Now, I will say this. I generally like everything around Goldberg except the actual wrestling part. I like his ferocious promos and the entrance. And he's still an intimidating guy to look at. I like when he gets in your face. But the match is going to be a disaster. It's, I mean, it's going to be, it might not be, it's going to be three minutes, whatever. It's going to be nothing. We're not going to get anything out of it. Bobby Lashley's not going to get anything out of it. It's just a complete waste of time. And it sucks. It sucks that Bobby Lashley's going to have two consecutive title defenses for a grand total of like 10 minutes. And the guy, Bobby Lashley deserves better. We were just singing his praises here. The guy's killing it. You don't need to stick him with one of these things. It and that at, the, at two of the first three major pay-per-views of the year, Goldberg is challenging for the WWE title. Yes. And, and let me also add, you know what the other difference between Goldberg and John Cena is? John Cena is 44. Goldberg is 54. Okay? If this was 10 years ago, I'm 
totally fine with it, most likely, because it's uh, Goldberg. I don't, I don't think so, but still. And he's spry. <laughs> no, but at, but at 44, he's spry. Like, look, we didn't necessarily love initially that Goldberg beat Kevin Owens for the Universal Championship and fought Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. But the match between Brock Lesnar and Goldberg at WrestleMania was great. It was at, great because it, it, was subverted our, it subverted our expectations of being terrible. That's the only reason. But, but I, it, my, it, my, you, my point, though, Chris, is that was five years ago. This yes. is now Goldberg with five more years on him. And that yes. was a run where Goldberg came into the company. I don't know the exact number of months, but two or three months. He did a program. This is a yeah. one-off match at a major pay-per-view. It's bad. It's bad. Now I said there was a lot. There was a lot of bad stuff in the show, and I knew this was going to be the one that upset you the most. Of course. And I said I wasn't going to read DMs on the show, but I have to say, uh, this guy Justin Downs at Banana Pancakes with no E. First of all, what a great (laughs) Twitter username! And this came in literally while we're talking about this segment, and I agree with it. So I figured I'll read it. So Justin, I think you're a first time DMer. You're getting it right on the show here. Uh, If you're going to bring Goldberg in for SummerSlam, and that is going to be the match that happens, then why waste what I and so many others have been waiting for, the return of Keith Lee? Would it not have been better to save what could have been an amazing hot fire program for the pay-per-view after SummerSlam with Bobby Lashley and Keith Lee? Have Keith Lee return on Raw, look dominant against a bunch of mid-card talent, and give him a number one contender match, and then after Oldberg... He said that. No, G. Oldberg. I like that. We get some big meaty men slapping meat at the next pay-per-view. That's a great point. The truth here is there's a thousand other ways that this could have been booked. And many of them, not all of them, but many of them would have been better. The fact that Keith Lee's return immediately got outshined by Goldberg was ridiculous. And again, I don't mind Keith Lee losing. Lashley is the WWE champion. Keith Lee has been out of action for a half year. But they also probably could have had Keith Lee return, have a good match with Lashley, lose, and have Goldberg show up next week. And now you have two big returns as opposed to just two on one show plus the other stuff that happened. This just in every way with Goldberg was a fail. And I don't know that they can do anything with it over the next four weeks and at SummerSlam. That will turn me around on it. I just that's, don't think it's possible. That's the thing. I don't know what you're going to do over the next four or five weeks to, other than Goldberg gets in the ring and yells and MVP yells and that's it. There, there's there's not much to this. Like the, the McIntyre thing, they tried to shoehorn in the McIntyre's disrespecting the veterans thing that got really weird. And then Drew got sick. And oh, God, they, that was terrible. And, and, and then yeah. they were away from it for a couple weeks, and we just limped to the end and actually got in a match, and that was that. I don't know what you're... I assume Goldberg's probably not going to be wrestling matches on the upcoming Raws, so, like, I don't really know where you go with this. And that puts, again, puts Bobby Lash and MVP in a difficult position of needing to carry this thing for another month. It would be cool if there was a scenario... The only thing I think I would like is of, like, on the go-home show... We got Keith Lee and Goldberg against like Lashley and Sheamus and Keith Lee got the pin back on Lashley. Like maybe something like that would be cool. Give Goldberg a couple reps and put, you know, get Keith Lee a little bit of rub. Like maybe something like that could be good, but that's it. That's the extent. And look, we'll see how it plays out. We'll judge each show as we always do, but they are going to have a mountain to climb to win me back over this. This For the WWE Championship at, again, the most important, not biggest, the most important show of the year now for WWE. 
This is a horrendous, horrendous booking decision. Let's move on to the third part of our main event, Charlotte Flair's championship celebration. Flair looked like a million bucks with rhinestone clothes. It sparkled in the light, looked really cool. She put herself over when the crowd chanted for Becky, which led Charlotte to say that she's home breastfeeding. That shut them up really quick. She announced herself as 11-time women's champion and said she could beat Rhea Ripley at any time, which led Ripley out to face chance, which was a nice little change, daring her being Charlotte for a rematch. Flair said Ripley's hurt, declined. That led Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville out to say that, hey, Charlotte, we're going to hold you to your words. You said you could beat her. Let's do the rematch. Flair kicked her heel at Ripley and then blasted her knee. And Becky, while this was happening, tweeted live that she was indeed home breastfeeding, but still more over than Charlotte. And it's also good that Becky's been more active on social media over the last couple of weeks after being silent for months, which obviously makes us believe she's going to return. Regardless, this was a ridiculous booking. Having a rematch for the third time in a month, there's five weeks left until SummerSlam. Do something different for all that is holy. Now we know when it ended up happening, we're going to talk about that in a second. But Chris, this segment to build a main event, and I guess they wanted people to think that Becky Lynch was showing up and that was the goal of the entire thing. But man, I was so disinterested in seeing a brand new champion call out the person who she just beat. Yes, and it, it, it was a good promo by Charlotte. And but when she said Becky's home breastfeeding, that's when I knew she wasn't going to show up because you wouldn't acknowledge <laughs> you wouldn't acknowledge that basically. And I, I was really hoping we were done with Charlotte Rhea, and we maybe are after this. But to have two big segments with them when and, and again, it didn't put Rhea Ripley in a position to be a face. Like, she just got a rematch for no reason. And by the way, we're also getting a rematch on Friday for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Oh, I have a, I have a rant on that. And we're getting a rematch. Yeah. Ne- and we're getting a rematch next Monday for the Raw Tag Team Championships. We're just doing rematches out of thin air. And this goes back to a, a, a point. I, I, want, I forgot to make this at the beginning of the show, but this is the exact same show as the Thunderdome era. Nothing has outside of a couple of moments like Cena, not not kind of pay per view. This was this was a SmackDown worse, and Raw. Th- this was a worse episode of Raw than a couple of the ones we got in the last month. But where, I, you, where, saying, you, where you and I thought it was finally turning around. Yeah, not nothing. Nothing has changed. They're they're going forward with the exact same show that they've been doing the last couple of weeks. They're not presenting anything any differently. They're honestly, I think, doing fewer in ring promos than we got in the Thunderdome. Uh, it, it, so just in case we thought. Fans are back. It's a new era. We're going to have awesome shows. Pay-per-views aside, pay-per-views were great in the Thunderdome. But the Raw and SmackDown, specifically the Raw, we've seen two episodes with fans, and they've seemed like completely regular, normal shows with nothing changed. And I think what we got out of Charlotte and Ray here was was a perfect example. Well, wait. I, first of all, I disagree. SmackDown, I thought, was very good on Friday. I, I did not. Outside of the opening segment of SmackDown and a fun main event, but it was a six man match. Not, there was not, there was nothing different. They, they cut promos backstage. There was nothing about fans being there that made the show any different than what they had been showing at the Thunderdome. Yeah. They, they so made I'm no, gonna, they made no adjustments. I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, I do agree though, that raw was the exact same show as what we've gotten at the Thunderdome endless rematches. Like it's one thing if you are just saving things for the return of live crowds. And that's what I thought might be happening. We criticized the rematches on the show because they deserve criticism. But it was like, okay, if you're literally just like, okay, let's just spin the wheels 
and do the same thing over and over. Because when fans come back, we have all these new programs that we're going to start running and we're going to get everyone really excited. We're going to debut new superstars, which to be fair, they are debuting new and returning superstars. So that is a little bit fresh and positive. But if you're returning all these new people and bringing them in while everything else is exactly the same, then your product doesn't feel fresh. And that's what Raw felt like. It felt stale. It tasted stale. So the first episode with the first episode of Raw with fans in it already feels stale. And it already feels stale. Exactly. And we know that next week, based on what happened, it feels like it's going to get continue being stale. And that's the problem. So let's move on. We got a lot to talk about on the show. The Raw Women's Championship, Flair versus Ripley in the main event. Flair ruined Ripley's knee outside and the referee had to force her to stop attacking for medical attention. Ripley countered Flair's moonsault with her feet, then put Flair in the figure four, which Flair reversed. Ripley then hit Flair with the riptide, but Flair got her foot on the bottom rope and ran with the title only to deliver a shot to Ripley's face, forcing a disqualification just like we got at Hell in a Cell with Ripley on Charlotte. Then they brawled outside with Ripley hitting the riptide on Flair at ringside. And suddenly, Nikki Ash's music hits. She runs down with the briefcase, cashes it in, hits a flying crossbody on Flair, and wins the Raw Women's Championship. Now, I think the expectation of all of you listening to this, especially if you listened to our Money in the Bank instant analysis, you know I was very excited that Nikki Ash won the briefcase. She wasn't my choice. My choice was Liv Morgan, but I thought her winning was a positive move. I wish I could be 100% positive in my analysis of this, but I can't be. I'm mixed. It wasn't the worst thing, don't get me wrong. But this is the third time that this has happened, where someone has won Money in the Bank, a woman, and cashed it in either on the same show or within 24 hours. And it's the third time that Charlotte has won a championship for pure means of stat pumpage, only to then lose it to someone who won money in the bank. All titles, all title changes that served only as a means of inflating her championship statistics. Why not make Ripley heel in the match and have Nikki beat her directly rather than change the title last night, rather than have this continue, have Charlotte and Ripley still feud and Nikki now be the champion. At least that would have been fresh. It also, Chris, wastes the entire excitement of slowly building Nikki into someone who not only has the briefcase, but gets the crowd completely behind her and becomes worthy of being the champion, not just lucky to have won the briefcase and then cashed in at an opportune time. It's a complete hot shot for her for no good reason whatsoever, when they just debuted this new character five weeks ago. It also takes one of the two Money in the Bank briefcases out of the title picture inside of 24 hours, when the entire point of Money in the Bank is to create excitement on your television shows. Could you imagine Nikki getting in Charlotte's hair for weeks upon weeks, months even upon months on end, frustrating her, and then Charlotte finally loses And there's a huge ovation from the crowd, not rushed in the final 30 seconds of a Raw where you don't even get to see the celebration happen. It was not the worst case scenario because the worst case scenario would have been her cashing in and losing. But for her to cash in and win, I think it was the worst case scenario of that happening. 
And that sucks. Congrats to Nikki. Good for her. I praised her so much last night. I am so happy for her personally that she created a character out of thin air, got it put on television, won money in the bank, and is now the Raw Women's Champion. That's awesome. But the booking honestly was terrible, and it was so transparent. I'm happy for Nikki. Very happy for Nikki. This is the part where we, it comes across as complaining, not at what we're getting, but the way we're getting it. And how, like you said at the beginning of the show, it's packaged. This It's the rap. Yes. Agreed. Yes. This is not good for all the reasons you laid out. Nick, Nikki Ash was building something here. We still haven't fully gotten behind her character. I was at the show at Money in the Bank. Like, people are still not quite sure what to make of her yet. She has not fully gotten that baby face push behind her. And I believe she can. But the best way to do that is when she has Money in the Bank and you build it up. And this is about criticizing their story time. And, and Charlotte is now an 11-time champ. She's talking about winning it 11 times. And I thought this was the perfect moment for her to get a title uh, win and hold it through WrestleMania. She has been doing a great job. She is, this is, this is some of the best work she's done as a heel. Give her a long run as a heel champion. And then months down the road, when Nikki cashes in, we're thankful that the reign of Charlotte Flair is over. Instead, this belt, this meant nothing absolutely nothing and again Rhea is just there observing because she's lost two straight title matches and then Nikki just comes in and takes takes the belt she looks like a chump again this was absolutely the the worst way to tell this story of Nikki Ash cashing in to win the championship this is just a mess in the game. You throw it in at the end of a raw to send the crowd on happy in the first weekend with fans I guess that's what they were trying to do with, with Cena showing up in Money in the Bank and everything, but just, man, man, man. They but just again, really didn't do this I'm sorry to interrupt you at the end there. Yeah. But but again, you don't even allow her the opportunity to celebrate in front of the fans. Like, yeah. do this at a minimum at the 10 p.m. hour and allow her to celebrate and show how, how over she is and how people are cheering for her, have her run through the crowd and do really cool stuff like that. There's so many other ways. And Chris, if you want to hot shot the title on her, look, I don't want... Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley again. I don't, okay? But they could have booked Charlotte and Rhea for a SummerSlam. We saw they had a really good match at Money in the Bank. You book them for SummerSlam in a stipulation match. You figure it out. You do the I Quit match that was not used for Bailey and Bianca Belair. You do a False Count Anywhere match. You do a street fight. You do something where they brutalize the hell out of each other and make it the official blow-off to the feud. And over the, the five weeks in between, you have Nikki Cross, Nikki Ash, I'm sorry, with the briefcase, terrorize Charlotte by every time she gets into it with Ripley or every time she's in a match, Nikki's stalking her, thinks about cashing it in. Charlotte's getting really annoyed by her. And then four weeks later, at SummerSlam, you have Nikki Ash cash in and beat Charlotte at the end of a street fight. That's all you need to do. It's the same hotshot booking but it's at least giving Nikki a chance to get over over a five-week period. Six, if you include, you know, kind of the go-home and money in the bank altogether. To build herself and get fans behind her. And then she has all that momentum. You don't have to do a four or five-month briefcase hold like I want them to do. 
do it over five weeks instead of five months. But anything would have been better than the way they did this. So again, really happy for Nikki, the person. Extremely happy. I'm also glad to see another woman get the opportunity to be Raw Women's Champion. But I have no designs that she's holding this title for long. I have no belief that we're not sooner than later going to wind up with Flair Ripley again. It's probably going to be a triple threat at SummerSlam. And probably Nikki will end up pinning Rhea Ripley somehow. And that'll be it. I I don't know where it goes, but exactly. I don't feel like Nikki. And by the way, we're calling her Nikki Ash. It's not even her name. They're still, they're still we on this podcast recognize her as <laughs> yeah, not, not only not only do we acknowledge her as the Raw Women Champion. Good for her. We recognize her as Nikki Ash, not Nikki. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a problem. And it's I don't think that character is built yet to carry a championship in a feud. Not like, at all. That part of the story. And it's just. And, yeah. It, it's we talked about this enough. I think we got a lot to get to, but it's we just have. like it was. It was just very you're, you're mixed because you're happy for Nikki, but you're very frustrated that that's the way Raw was up here. By the way, forty three thousand tweets. I know you're the one who looks at the social media stats. I don't. Forty three thousand tweets with Nikki. Um, so people are talking about it at a very minimum, and a lot of people inside of WWE seem really happy for her. So that's great. So now that the main event of negativity is over, allow the Silver King to move you on to the powerhouse of positivity because the brand new Mr. Money in the Bank, Big E, joined us here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast less than 24 hours after winning the briefcase at the first WWE pay-per-view that was sold out with fans in nearly 18 months. I had what I consider to be an exceptional conversation with Big E. Not only did we talk about his briefcase victory, the New Day fractioning, for lack of a better term, that I discussed with Kofi Kingston just a couple of days ago. Another interview, by the way, that you should listen to. But Biggie also gave us his top five big meaty men slapping meat list. And we got into a conversation about Seinfeld before the interview was out. So we're touching on all of the Silver King's favorite things in my conversation with Biggie, which starts right now. Thrilled to welcome the brand new Mr. Money in the Bank, Big E to the show for the first time. You can catch E on SmackDown every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox and at WWE SummerSlam on Saturday, August 21st in Las Vegas. That, of course, will air on Peacock. E, you don't know this, okay, but you are the guy that we on this show hope and root for to see succeed. I've already heard you talk about how big this is for your career. We know that, but I'm wondering what it felt like to be live in that moment atop the ladder with the briefcase, the fan serenading you, that insane response, because you conveyed some strong ass emotions on the top of that ladder. It's uh it's a, it's really a feeling of euphoria. I honestly wish that everyone had an opportunity to experience something like that. Uh it's it's almost a spiritual experience. And that might sound weird. It's I get it's I get it's pro wrestling. But man, there's I so winning the money in the bank uh, contract, being the briefcase holder is incredible in and of itself. But moments like that are why you do this moments like that, where people are that thoroughly invested, where everyone is with you, where it just really it's hard to really contextualize because uh, I'm it's just 
wildly humbling. I'm beyond grateful. I still don't know why people aren't sick of me at this point. You know, I keep waiting <laughs> for like for for the other shoe to drop, and it's like, all right, this guy, like we get it. All right, yeah, you're, you're, you're happy and stuff, and you clap. Oh, great. Uh, but they're not there yet, and that's great. And that's and that's uh, I'm really thankful for that. But yeah, that's just um. You know, for me, the, the whole match, too, and that's that's another big thing, too, is if the match wasn't great and lackluster and we kind of just get to the finish, I still think people are, are happy for me. But we had this really stacked field. You can argue one of the greatest stack, uh, one of the most stacked uh, money to make lineups of all time, man, just between Ricochet and Morrison and like, I was so excited when I saw that lineup and I knew going in, I knew this was going to be a banger. It, like, there's no way. Enough. And Kevin, right. who's a maniac. Just, just a lunatic who has, doesn't care about his body at all. Uh, yeah, it, it, so uh, that's that's a big thing too. Is I feel like the lead up into it in the match was 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 so good as well, um, and it, it felt like I think when Seth powerbomb uh, Kevin through that ladder, I, I think a lot of people thought it was over. It felt like it was over, and uh, I I just really remember the moment where I started to get to my feet and slid into the ring as Seth was climbing. I felt like people started to they either knew or right. they like. It was percolating. This was, yeah, it, started, yeah. it really started percolating. And just that whole ride from me sliding my arm under him to hitting the big ending up to starting that climb. Uh, to me, and uh, he was there. The fact that it was one of the first crowds, you know, we had that, the Houston, uh, obviously, SmackDown um, with, with a full capacity crowd, then going to Fort Worth. Uh, the fact that it felt so fresh being back in front of people, the match was so so good. Um, the fact that I feel like so many people have wanted this for me, and I can't thank them enough for supporting me. And thank you, obviously, for supporting me on your podcast. No, for sure. Uh, but uh, it all, it felt like a, a perfect storm in so many ways. Uh, well, it's just timing and everything. Well, I'm going to answer the question that you posed. Why aren't people sick of you, right? And the reason is, is a lot of people could do a positivity gimmick and have it be a gimmick. It doesn't feel that way with you, right? We hear that you're a good friend, whether it's, you know, not to necessarily invoke Brody Lee and his family, but to them, to the guys in the New Day, the people in the locker room, they're actually there rooting for you. And I think that comes across on the screen and in yourself and the character. And because of that, I'm wondering what was the post-show celebration like? Because we got stories back in the day of what the post-show celebrations were like in WWE, but what's happening now? Good times backstage. Did you guys go out anywhere? Was the briefcase in bed with you? Like, what did you do after that show went off the air? I am incredibly dull. I don't do anything, man. I So what we <laughs> did back, the beautiful thing, like the moments that I'll cherish and remember is getting to Gorilla. So we get through Gorilla afterwards and uh, Kofi Woods, of course, were the, were the first two I see. Uh, and those guys, and I'm disgusting. I'm sweaty. I always have, I don't know if other people have this. I need to ask around, but I always get this awful post-match breath. My breath is terrible afterwards. I go in and I try to make sure I'm good, but afterward, and I'm talking to them at close quarters. So God bless them for, for getting deep in on those, those hugs and those conversations, but they're there. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the other people, uh, I probably shouldn't name, you know, uh, there are, there are other people backstage as well who, uh, who showed me a lot of love and uh that's you know we did that and then you know from there it was a bunch of interviews uh just talking to people the the hardest thing for me is coming down because i have this i think of that night um the SummerSlam in brooklyn 2015 i think mm -hmm. uh but when we won that that four-way tag to be to start the 483 day title reign i had a similar moment where 
I'm sitting in my hotel room knowing you're not really going to get to sleep here because you're just the adrenaline is too high. So I, I had that moment where like, man, I had a flight. So it's like, I want to get some sleep. Um, but for me, yeah, I just kind of got back to people. I had a, about 100 different texts, uh, different DMs and whatnot, uh, just getting back to people as well, talking to my friends who've been supporting me for so long, just getting back to them and then and then catching a flight in the morning. I am very dull. There was no night on the town. There was no boozing. There was no uh, hotel no crazy bar, stories. nothing like that. Nothing None good. of that. Right. That's that's not my that's not my deal, man. I like that's my solitude. Fun. I like my alone time. But uh, I, I genuinely appreciate. It. There's so many people who reached out. The DM. I couldn't get back to all the people who DM me. But uh, I, I'm really thankful for for all the support and the, the love for real. So I actually interviewed Kofi just a couple of days ago, last week, ahead of Money in the Bank, and we were talking about WWE. Dividing up, I'm not a wedge driver, I'm not using the word split, but dividing up the New Day, maybe yep. briefly, right? And Kofi said at first he was angry about it and he thought it was stupid. And he actually used that word. But then he realized that he was being selfish, feeling that way because specifically for you, it was giving you the best individual momentum that you've had in your career. So I'm wondering if you felt the same way at first and does it now feel like it was somewhat of a blessing in disguise? Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I, we're on the same page. We were all not happy about it when we first heard about it and there was no changing it. So we felt like right, we'll make the best of it. And in many ways, you know, I wanted what I want to do is, you know, in, in much the same way as Kofi was able to have Kofi Mania while we were all still in the same brand. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing is now because you can have a single star and you can do six mans. You can still get back into different formations of tags. There's so many we're very multiple as a trio. There's so many different things we can do, but now you kind of lose that with us on separate brands. But, you know, you make a great point. I don't think my ability to kind of ascend would be there if I was still attached to the New Day, not in the same way. And mind you, I, I still want us to get back together as a trio or, you know, even, you know, I, I think we can even, do, if we wanted to, we could say, hey, like, you guys have your stuff. I'm going to have my stuff and, and I love you, but, you know, let's not, you know, so there's a bit of separation there as well, but I don't know if it would feel the same, you know? So I think in many ways, being out on my own has been a good challenge for me. I, it may be something that I needed and uh, it's allowed me to show different sides of myself. I love, as much as I love being obnoxious and goofy and doing all and all that stuff, it's, it's nice. Like for me, I wanted this run to be still myself, still entertaining, still fun, but have that added layer of determination. I'm not here. Like, you can't, if I was to be separated on SmackDown and I was just happy being a guy doing funny backstages and making people laugh, I'm doing a disservice to everything we built with, with the new, I'm doing a disservice to myself. So for me, it really felt like, all right, if you're going to do this, you still have to be yourself. Don't, I, I didn't want to be serious in the way that people wanted me to be serious. I still wanted to be able to, you know, the interaction for me, I think what encapsulates what I want to be is that brief snippet between me and uh, Paul on Friday. That's it. That's the, I'm still sliding in, being obnoxious, being myself, trying to be fun, but I'm still there for real. I'm, I'm letting you know, with a wink and a smile, I'm letting you know this position that you're in with you and Roman, that, that's a spot I see. Right. And that's a spot I want for myself as well. So that, that that's what I've really wanted. And you know, maybe in some ways that would be hard to really cultivate if Kofi Woods are always with me as much as I love and miss them and uh, hope we can get back to it. So I think it has been a blessing in disguise. And 
I, I think that people have been able to really latch onto this as my solo run more because of that separation. I think that would be a harder delineation to make if you always see us together. Do you see yourself as a lesson for maybe some of the, not necessarily younger guys, but guys who are a little bit newer to WWE who may get frustrated time and again, they're not seeing themselves maybe progress the way they want. And I know that New Day itself was such a great way to kind of jumpstart the, not even the second half of your career, but really your career as a whole. You got started, you had success, the IC title, uh, Dolph, you know, and AJ, and things were going well, but things really picked up once you found your niche. Being a guy who is now, you know, not to date you a little bit, but a veteran, right, backstage, you've been there for a long time. Do you get that sense from other guys where they're frustrated? They're like, I just don't know that this is going to work. And if you do get that kind of communication, what do you say to them in those in those moments? Yeah, for sure, man. There are guys I, I think are extremely talented. You know, uh, I think Apollo was a guy like that for a long time where he was just, oh, he, he's very good in the ring. And the perception, at least, is, oh, he's very good. But this is this is about where he should be. This is probably his ceiling. But for a guy like him, he knows he has way more to offer. I, I look at a guy like Chad Gable as well. Chad Gable, Perfect we, haven't, we, yeah. we haven't seen him scratch the surface. Man, he is. I have been in the ring with him, and I have just been wildly impressed. And he's an Olympian, man. That, that's, a, that's another pedigree. I wrestled in high school. I was a state champion. But that's, that's I, I'm an ant next to an elephant. There, there's, yeah. still, there's so many degrees of separation. And just the way he carries himself, the way he, he's such a, he's a hard worker. He's a humble dude. Uh, such a good he, he's one of those guys who I think people have been clamoring for a long time to see see more of. Uh, so, yeah, they're definitely guys like that, you know, and it's our you know, our, our industry, our business is not an easy business to ascend to the top. You know, there are a lot of very talented guys who spend a lot of time in catering or, you know, don't get those opportunities that, that others do. But, uh, you know, for me, it's hard to say I'm a leader or a mentor or I, I don't, I don't want to put myself in that position, but. I, I do now understand that whether I want to be or not, I have been here for quite some time. I, I do hope that I have the respect of my peers and uh, I will go up to guys at some times and say, um, I, I really have, I've learned the value of telling people, Hey, you're really good at what you do. And I'm a fan. Keep, keep doing you. I think too often I was in my own head and thought, you know, no one really cares. Or I'm not established enough. So let me keep that to myself. And maybe sometimes it falls on deaf ears. But uh, yeah, I have no problem. Men, men or women, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, I look at Liv too. Um, and, and I think she's someone who people have clamored for and are still clamoring for to do more and to really ascend and to see how hard she works and all the, the time that she puts in on her off days as well to continue to get better. So, uh, you know, for me, uh, I want to see everyone get the same opportunity that I got to, to really live out their dreams, to do something really cool, because that feeling is incredible. And, and I hope we get, we get more of those talent who are underutilized. I hope we get more of them to, to bust through that glass ceiling. Yeah, no doubt. Now, I have limited time with you today. I could talk to you probably for an hour. I can't get too deep on all the things I want to ask about this whole career. But our listeners would crush me if we didn't talk a little bit of big meaty men slapping me. We gotta, we gotta have that conversation, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Goldberg is the dream match, and he's yeah. under contract. But science, it hasn't figured out the cloning deal yet, right? <laughs> no, so, no, not yet. what does the rest of Biggie's meat slap in top five look like? Oh man, okay. I uh, all right. I think I got this. Um, I would say so. Vader, Vader was my guy as a kid. Vader's definitely up there. Uh, arguably the greatest big man to ever to ever uh, walk in this industry. 
Vader's definitely up there. Uh, I love Ron Simmons as a kid. Uh, the fact he was a, a Heisman finalist mm-hmm. as a as a nose tackle. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, so Ron Simmons is, is on there. Uh, Scott Steiner, big Scott Steiner fan. Uh, so Scott Steiner. Oh, we've uh, seen that cameo. That's a great cameo. Yeah, uh, yes. well, I did my best to try yeah. to try to replicate the uh, the Steinerman <laughs> promo. You, it's untouchable. His is untouchable. I, I tried. I tried. Uh, so how many more do I need? Uh, I think one more because Goldberg's on there, right? One more. So, we got Goldberg. Ooh, I need another big man. Ooh, that is a good. I'm kind of getting stuck here. I thought I thought I had this. It's all right. Okay. Um, one more. Just a big meaty man. Um, I could throw out Mark Henry for you. I don't we know. We could. We could. That, a little that's, bit of a different not, dynamic. A little different dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I think it's hard for me because he's kind of a contemporary. So it feels, I, I, you know, it's just easier to pick people from my childhood. No, Mark Henry's not sense. a bad one. Um, but that is a good choice. Uh, man, you know what? We got four. Big, big Show doesn't get enough credit. Really, if you, man, uh, when I was convinced that he was actually Andre's son when I was a kid and watching WCW, <laughs> <laughs> seeing Young, and I'm not saying that he got, like, he was bad when he got older, but seeing young Big Show or uh, with the Giant at the time, mm-hmm. uh, missile drop kicks, the way he moved, uh, doing kip ups even a few years ago, doing kip ups. Big Show does not get enough credit for being one of the greatest big men of all time in that very, very top tier. If you said he was the greatest big man of all time, I'd have no problem with that because uh, I've seen the stuff he's done. I remember him and Christian had incredible house show matches. Just he can do the comedy stuff. He could do the monster stuff. Let's put Big Show on that list. I think Big Show's incredible. There you go. And I'll get you out of here on this. You seem to be a pretty big Seinfeld fan, and it is easily my favorite sitcom. I'm wondering, do you have an episode or even a scene that really sticks in your mind as the best of all time? And I'm going to give you a second to think about it while I tell you mine. It is the sea is angry that day, my friends, with George (laughs) in the diner pulling out the golf ball at the end. That is my number one (laughs) favorite scene of all time. What about you? Man, I have, so I have such a hard time picking a favorite. It's like my babies. But so the one that first comes to mind is probably The Strike, just because I love every December 23rd, I watch that because it's the Festivus episode. Of course. And so I'm not really that in, I don't love Christmas or a lot of the other, but I have this weird, just fat, it's cause, just because I adore Seinfeld, as you do. So yeah. I love the Festivus episode. And that episode, even beyond just the actual focus on Festivus, is pretty gay. Pretty great because you also get the two face, the two faces in that episode. Yep. Um, I think also there's the um, the the gum bit in the uh, when, when Kramer goes back to, to working at the uh, what is it? It's not a donut bagel shop. shop. The bagel shop. The bagel yeah. shop. With the steam. Yeah. 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 Man, um, it's it's so hard to pick a favorite, but I'll, I'll go with the strike. No, it's a good choice as any for the new Mister Money in the Bank. You can catch a replay of Money in the Bank on Peacock. You can. Watch SummerSlam on Saturday, August 21st, airing live from Las Vegas on Peacock. And you can catch Biggie every Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern on SmackDown, which airs on Fox E. I appreciate all the time. I know we went a little long, but congratulations. You deserve this. I'm not trying to do the chant, but you deserve it. And I'm excited (laughs) to see what happens with the Money in the Bank briefcase. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. Thanks once again to Biggie for joining us. It was awesome. It's very rare that we on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast can get the headline-making person immediately after he make he or she makes the headlines. So it was just an awesome turn of events that we were able to get Biggie on the show. He gave us, I think, five or six more minutes than we had originally planned to speak. And he was just so thoughtful. And you could tell in his comments 
he's such a thoughtful, smart, endearing, emotional person that as much, Chris, as you and I rooted for him to win Money in the Bank and to have all of this success, when you see the way that fans talk about him, his friends, New Day talks about him, and his peers, Dolph Ziggler, sent a couple really sweet tweets about Big E uh, recently, you know, today on Monday when we're taping this podcast, it just really makes you feel good inside to see this guy get this opportunity. Yeah, I mean, if if anybody had watched his, uh, I don't know if it was WB24 or exactly what it was, but the the one they put together of him a couple months back was was really, really good, gave you really good insight into his life. And yeah, just really happy that he got it. Pop was huge at Money in the Bank when he won. Really excited to see where he goes with this because you know he's going to do a great job with that briefcase and everything that comes with it. He absolutely is. And to have the big meaty man who slaps meat on this podcast, that's full circle. Right. It only it only took like 200 episodes almost, but we made it happen. So very, very happy and excited to have Biggie on the show. So with the main event out of the way and our awesome interview with Big E now in the books, the Silver King welcomes you into our final segment, the good, the bad and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, the ugly when your money gets funny and the days ain't sunny. We're showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. You got to love me. All right, so let's get started with the first match on Raw. Riddle and the Viking Raiders against John Morrison, AJ Styles, and Omos in a six-man tag team match. Most notable, really, about the whole thing was the massive rub that Riddle got from Cena with them yelling bro together after Cena's opening promo. I wish yeah, there was... Go ahead. It, that was great. And honestly, I wasn't sure if to bring this up now or in the Cena section. That was awesome. And I frankly, I wish they had done that throughout the episode of Raw. Like, have Cena backstage just put a bunch of people over. You got him here. You only used him for 10 minutes. But the Riddle stuff was great. It was, it was great. I would love to see more of it. No, you're right. Like, have him confront Keith Lee. Hey, man, don't worry. Yeah. Uh, you'll get over this loss. It's great to see you back. Really happy to see you. You have a huge future. Have him walk up to this person or that person. Totally agree. Viking Raiders. Hey, guys, that was really impressive out there. Like, there are so many ways that you can use John Cena. I doubt he had a flight that was like yeah. at 8.20 <laughs> p.m. Eastern. You know what I mean? So Yeah, exactly. But no, the, yeah, the Riddle stuff was funny. And that's like... This, this is a great way to use him while you've got him do more of this stuff. And I kind of wish there was a little bit more of interaction between them, even if it was only Riddle, like they come through gorilla position and he's like, yo, man, you got it in gorilla or like backstage. Even if it was only about Riddle, that would have been great. But anyway, or even, Rid- or even Riddle says, I-, I know what you did to Randy Orton all those years or something. <laughs> right. Like have <laughs> no, some yeah, 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 yeah. a little bit more interaction rather yeah. than seeing just being I get it, bro. Yeah. You know. It was, it was very lackluster. It, it was it was a good effort. It wasn't enough, but it was a good effort. It wasn't enough. That that's the point. Uh, so John Morrison came down. He demanded to be announced as America's Moist Wanted, which is a great solo nickname. And the shirt with the new logo. I don't know if you guys got a good look at it. Uh, it's explicit for a WWE T-shirt. So I really suggest you take a look at what that shirt looks like. I am. Relatively surprised that I assume that's going to be sold on WWE shops sooner than later. Uh, Omos threw Styles out of the ring in a cool spot, just like at the pay-per-view. Riddle sprayed Omos in the back with a drip stick and ran away, making him think it was Miz. So Omos tossed Morrison as retribution, and the Raiders caught him with the Viking experience for the win. Morrison grabbed his knee, and I'm not sure that he was selling, so I just hope he's okay. That would be really bad if he wasn't. Um, But the match, it featured some good wrestling before the semi-corny type of finish. It was a strong way, in my opinion, to start the show because 
the crowd liked it. It popped the crowd. Not every match needs to be super serious. And it was nice to also see the Raiders still involved with all of the top mid-card acts despite their title match loss. So all of that, Chris, was good. Yes, I'm giving it a good too. By the way, Morrison's shirt is on the front page of WWE Shop. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was fun. It, like you said, six man tags like this, it's supposed to get the crowd going, be fun. Viking Raiders, two nights in a row have been have put together some really good matches. They're really fun together. Good to see them more. I don't love them just getting another rematch because they want a six man tag next week, but it is what it is. I was surprised though that we got essentially no Omos in this match. I don't know if he tagged in or not. Maybe he was it's involved in a couple things. Well, no, he threw, he, he he threw Styles out of the, the ring and he and he ran Morrison around. So I feel like that yeah. was their usage of him for this. Yeah, I was just it wasn't as much as I I watched this episode of Raw with my dad. Um, he hasn't watched Raw in forever. He tapped out about halfway through. But watching this match, um, he just kept being blown away at how big Omos was. And it was uh, in that context, I was kind of disappointed not to see him actually do some wrestling stuff. Yeah. And I just wanted to add, because you mentioned the rematch and you did mention this earlier, but uh, you kind of stole my thunder. I was I had a little tiny mini <laughs> rant on this as well. Uh, but look, WWE announced a rematch for the tag team titles for next week's Raw. So for a company that should be avoiding rematches with fans coming back. We already got two rematches on Raw just this week. And then next week, we have Bianca Belair versus Carmella again, Biggie versus Apollo Crews again, and now Styles and Omos versus the Viking Raiders again. And that's only what's announced. That's assuming that with every other storyline, there's no other rematches. And you know there's going to be more. I don't give a damn what you people. That's the is I care too much. Maybe that is my problem, Chris. Maybe I care too much. I also probably should have used that sound for the Goldberg rant, but they just don't give a damn. Look, I say this every week. If the rematches stop at some point, it'll be nice, but they never stop. So it's never nice. I don't yep. know what else to say. This is what I'm saying. And the show is just continuing on the, on the path it was on and it has not changed all that much. All right, uh, let's move on to SmackDown. Go back to SmackDown, I should say. Uh, Sami Zayn cut a promo live in front of the SmackDown crowd about a conspiracy that has plagued him for over a year. He asked the fans to stand up for him and then insulted them as Texans. And just as he was ranting, Finn Balor made his return to the main roster with an incredible reception from the crowd as the Prince character. He took out Zayn and immediately hit the coup de grace to stand tall. Like I said, the crowd really serenaded him. They were excited to see Finn Balor back. And he, in my opinion, legitimately has a chance to be a mega star in WWE. Not a John Cena or The Rock, but a top tier main event level babyface who can main event a major pay-per-view like a Royal Rumble or a SummerSlam, as long as he's given the opportunity this go around. Don't forget, they tried to do it with Finn Balor. They made him the first universal champion. But once he came back from that injury, things were just never the same. He completely revitalized himself in NXT. And I know that doesn't mean much for WWE proper these days. But this time, I sincerely hope they follow through. And I also hope they don't revert back to the extraordinary character because the Prince version of Finn Balor is far better. But this was a very nice, simple return. And it was, for me, 
a really good moment. That was yep. a good one, yeah. Yep, it was fun to see him back. It was a good, nice surprise. Crowd was going crazy. Uh, and and presumably a Finn-Sammy feud coming out of it. I don't know. But, yes, this guy has all the potential in the world. I mean, potentially he's been doing this forever. He, he he's has a veteran, but, yeah, you're right. He, he has everything yeah. you could want. But we know how Vince gets someone. Vince takes a risk on uh, on somebody. They immediately get hurt. This, for some reason, has happened a ton with NXT call-ups. And then he kind of just doesn't t- quite trust them the same again. I don't think it's part of why why he went back to NXT. So uh, hopefully he can start building that back up because um, he is awesome. And it was great to see him back. And it was a fun, uh, fun bit on SmackDown. And by the way, I don't think WWE like would have ever done this, right? But let's not forget, it's not that long ago that Balor had the long feud with Lashley and he came out on top as Intercontinental Champion. If they had him debut tonight on Raw in that open challenge and challenged Lashley at SummerSlam and built that up over five weeks, that would have been a huge WWE Championship match that would have shown continuity, good storytelling, and people would have loved it. I don't mind that he's on SmackDown. I'm not saying this was bad, but just look at how a singular decision like that could have made a far better pay-per-view match. And then if you want him on SmackDown long-term, you draft him to SmackDown in the draft. It's fine. You don't, you don't even need him to beat Lashley at the pay-per-view. You just need to have them you know, compete in a really good match. So even that, something as simple as, hey, we're going to bring Balor back. What should we do with him? You had a great option and a very good option, and they chose the very good option. But that's leaving the great option on the table. And that's what WWE, in my opinion, so frequently does. So did did we grade this? I said good. Did, yeah, yeah. It, it's a good for me. I mean, it's a good for me. And in that scenario you just brought up, Finn Lashley Lashley wins. You want to get Lashley over as a big time heel. Have him beat all the faces that people love. Right. <laughs> like that. That would get the job done more than beating Goldberg. We're like we're going to be happy for Lashley beating Goldberg. I don't know if that's what we want. Like I didn't love the Kofi booking, but I understood it. I yes. I respected the yes. decision making of it. But you know you can do that with other people. The problem is. Raw has just such a deficit of faces, and it has for a long time, that they needed to bring someone in for this match because they overbooked McIntyre and had him do way too many rematches. If they had stopped with the McIntyre rematches, they could have allowed that rematch from WrestleMania to have been at SummerSlam, and you could have had McIntyre win. Again, it's WWE booking itself into a corner. Let's move on. This this segment is supposed to be a fast one. Uh, Baron Corbin walked out on SmackDown totally disheveled his hair grown out, wearing a stained shirt, saying he's lost everything and is in the most difficult time of his life. The crowd did what chance? I said earlier, that's depressing. Please stop that. But Corbin said he may have to even move in with his in-laws. That's how bad things are. He shared a kayfabe GoFundMe uh, for $100,000. He begged for help, even getting down on his knees. I honestly loved every second of this thing. Kevin Owens interrupted. Corbin asked him for help, slightly insulted him. Then he caught a stunner and the crowd popped in a major way. It was typical. It was what you expect would expect from a segment like this. It was very Stone Cold Steve Austin of Kevin Owens to kind of come out when there's something kind of pathetic happening, no sell it, and just stun the person. But this went as well as expected, and it was good for me. Yeah, I I mean, I guess I'm put I'm putting it good for the Kevin Owens bit, but I still don't understand this Corbin stuff because Everything that's happened since he lost has positioned him as a as a as a face. 
Like he's lost everything and now he's poor. Yeah, I think it's going to be a face turn. Yeah, for sure. I, but it's he just got stunned by Kevin Owens because <laughs> he has to hit, he has to hit rock but, bottom and then re, for me the booking well, is he has to hit rock bottom and realize that the path that he's been on is not one of success. So he I, I hope positive, so. he turns face. I, I hope so. That's but the booking. It, yeah. So far, they're not hinting it for any reason for us to feel that way. And I think Corbin's doing a good job with this. But I'm just worried that Vince McMahon thinks someone being poor is funny and you can stun him and then that's all it goes. And we'll see. I don't know. So what's your grade? Are you going good I, I'm bad? Give, I'm, give, I'm in between. I guess I'm going to go with the good because I like Kevin Owens in it. It, it, it it set up the I think those six man tag was after that so it kind of went into that and it worked fine, um, but uh, yeah we'll see with Corbin. All right, so we're starting with three straight unanimous goods, even though different levels of them. I don't think that's going to keep up here as we move forward with no. the segment. And uh, two of those were SmackDown, by the way. So of that's course, why. well, of course they were, right? Because it's the A show and it's the one that they actually put some brain power into booking. Okay, uh, let's go back to Raw then. So you know, let's let's at least uh, switch gears. We had. Carrying Cross against Jeff Hardy. So WWE calls up the NXT champion. They didn't make it a surprise for an open challenge like they did with Kevin Owens or have him shock the champion like they did with Paige and AJ Lee. They just put up a graphic and said he's going to be on the show later. And then they showed a video of him just completely kneecapping any potential surprise unnecessarily. Then Cross makes his entrance without any of the smoke, the red lights, the theatrics, the cool effects that make him tolerable in NXT. And he joins the main roster without his wife, Scarlett, who's a huge part of the aesthetic that again makes him a semi-interesting character. Really, the only positive about the way Karrion Cross was introduced was that he came out with the NXT title and they didn't forget that he's champion. Hardy then made his entrance to No More Words, bringing back his old entrance theme for the first time since he returned to WWE a few years ago. And that was great. He got a massive pop from the crowd. People love Jeff Hardy. He had a twist of fate. Cross avoided the Swanton bomb. And you're expecting him to lose, him being Hardy. Instead, he ducks the forearm to the back of the head, power bombs Cross off the ropes, folds him over, and cheats by putting his feet on the ropes, which is a clear heel move, given he wasn't provoked at any point in the match to do something like that for the win. Cross then yells on the mic that Hardy made the biggest mistake of his life and the crowd boos. And the crowd booing because he's a heel, that's totally fine. That, there's no issue with that. But on one hand, it's actually great that Hardy didn't get squashed by Cross. So that subverted expectations. And we like when our expectations are subverted. And for Cross to start his WWE main roster career feuding with someone of Jeff Hardy's caliber, that's a positive too. However, WWE debuted this guy without anything that made him feel special in NXT. And they had the NXT champion both lose a singles match and get pinned for the first time in his WWE career in a non-title throwaway match to a muted response in a poorly booked debut. Vince McMahon literally took a undefeated NXT champion, two-time NXT champion, and had him lose his first match on the main roster in four minutes. Here's a simple statement for you. Vince McMahon does not give 
a single flying fuck about NXT. Now, we already kind of knew this, but this just proved it 100%. And Chris, I've never booked wrestling, but there are a hundred other ways that this could have been done better, including just letting Cross squash Drew Gulak or Angel Garza or R-Truth. This was bad. The only thing not making it ugly is the couple of positives that I mentioned earlier, but it's tough for me to not call this ugly. And now you know we're going to get Cross versus Hardy at least two more times. Oh, this is ugly all the way, without a doubt. I can't, there has not been a worse debut for someone from NXT, I think, in the history of the the promotion. This was insane. This was completely insane. And if I'm Triple H, I, I, I can't even imagine what the conversation must have been like backstage when this was the final decision and Triple H had to live with that. Like, I I would be absolutely livid. If I was Triple H, I would make sure nobody ever got called up again. This was horrible. Your rant there was probably better than your Goldberg rant, honestly. That this was... Are you really? My my Goldberg rant was great. No, it was. I'm saying that's how good... I mean, your points in this one... Oh, okay. This was... <laughs> I think it's, it was great. It, it you guys, you guys are going to tell mind. me. The listeners are going to tell me whether my it rant was great. It boggles the mind so, that this know. is what they did with Karen Cross. Do not have Scarlet, who is carries so much of that gimmick. He's the they, she's the sable to his Mark. He Mara. looked like a generic. He looked like a generic ass dude who didn't cut a promo pre match. All we got was a video, and then he does a catchphrase at the end. This is horrible. I we, we've. We've gone on long enough about this. This was ugly, ugly, ugly all the way. We got other ugly stuff. You know what? I, I, you you convinced me. I gave a couple positives. I tried to look on the bright side. I'm I'm changing my grade. This was ugly. It was ugly because it was a debut. It was ugly yes. because he was the NXT champion. It was ugly. You're right. You're 100% right on that. All right, we'll move on. Jinder Mahal cut an anti-Drew McIntyre promo and announced that it was his birthday. Oh, but I should also note, it was Karrion Cross's birthday as well. So- that happened that, to Karrion Cross yeah. on his birthday. <laughs> that honestly, I wondered if that was part of the deal, given how Vince likes to have people lose in their hometown. Like, I wondered if that came up. I can't time. imagine that that would make sense. But I, <laughs> I cannot can, wait to see not, what. But none of this made sense. None of this made. I, sense. I gotta say, I, to, you said something else. I know we want to move on, but you said something else. NXT, when these people, these women, got called up uh, on SmackDown, uh, you know, two weeks ago at this point, it at least had a couple days to figure out what to do, right? And I'm, I'm not saying that Triple H didn't know that Karrion Cross was going to get called up and maybe didn't know the booking. I'm sure he did. But last week in NXT, they had a title match with Johnny Gargano, with Samoa Joe as a special guest referee. They could have changed the title there and didn't, maybe or maybe not knowing that Cross was going to make his debut here. And now NXT is on Tuesday, not Wednesday. So 24 hours after Karrion Cross loses, he now has to step onto NXT as the previously undefeated NXT champion and look like a badass. How the hell are they going to pull that off? We're going to find out on Tuesday and we'll talk about it on our Thursday show. Okay, let's move on. Jinder Mahal, as I said, he cut an anti-Drew McIntyre promo. He announced it was his birthday. I candidly wasn't paying full attention to his promo because I was writing my notes for the Goldberg rant and I wanted to make sure I got all my points in because I knew we were taping this immediately after Raw went off the air. But anyway... McIntyre eventually interrupted with a steel chair. He gave Mahal a shot. And then he beat the ever-loving shit out of Shanky. He hit him a few times with a chair, broke it, grabbed another one, and hit him with 20 straight chair shots. And by the way, there were about 
25 consecutive camera shakes oh for every God. single chair I was, shot. I was going to say that. I thought I, look, I was going to have a seizure. I had to look away from the TV. Like I literally had to look away. WWE has actually in some ways improved their camera work and stopped with that shit. But on chair shots, they don't stop with it. And it was horrendous, especially it's a one thing if it's two or three times, 20 times it is as noticeable as possible. Uh, WWE showed massive bruises on Shanky's back immediately in the segment. Mahal's part of this I thought was completely boring. But I gotta say, dude, McIntyre looked the best he has this year, in the year 2021. He looked the best he has all year, just being a no-shit-talking, no-story-time bullshit, badass face. More of this going forward. Did I love the segment? No, it was a bad segment. But I'm gonna give it a good grade because it's the best McIntyre has looked. And the most important thing is that McIntyre looks good. Yep. I, and the crowd was into it because that's all we want from Drew McIntyre. We, we don't need all these other things. He came out, by the way, dressed. I think, what do you have? Like a, like a tank top, a tight tank He's top wearing thing black. on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, he wasn't in his ring gear and stuff like that. Like that felt like the old Drew. I'm, I'm still going to give it a bad because I had to look away from the screen. And it, w- it was a lot and there wasn't much to it, but it was, I mean, I, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. I guess I'll, I'll, I'm leaning bad because everything was lean bad. Left Let's a, disagree. Left, That's fine. Left, left a bad taste in my mouth. So I'm, I'm going to say bad, but you know, it was, at least it was a step forward. Uh, we'll move back to SmackDown. We had Cesaro against Otis in a singles match. Chad Gable cut a promo backstage saying he and Otis see people ducking in fear of them. Cesaro stepped up and Otis threw him into a road case. Otis looked like a badass upon his entrance. Yes. And Cesaro looked awesome with the Matrix style yes. augmented reality that they did. The augmented that's a, reality. That's a good way to use That's a good way to use it. Yeah, it doesn't work for everyone. The Roman Reigns one, for example, not great, right? I kind of wish they did it something different with him. But for some people, Cesaro being one of them, Sheamus, we're going to talk about it in a second. It really works. And Cesaro's entrance was great. Now, this was frustrating for me because Cesaro and Otis. We're just getting into it when Gable interfered for no reason for the DQ. That said, Cesaro was given a bit of a moment to get a crowd pop doing the swing on Gable before Otis took him out to end the segment with a Vader bomb. By the way, since I'm a stickler for naming finishers, here's a free one, WWE, the Alpha Bomb. Not that hard. It works, okay? This was simultaneously- The A-Bomb. Or the A-Bomb, although that was a wrestler. The Atom Bomb, I was a wrestler back in the day. Um, this was simultaneously fun and frustrating. So it was tough to make a judgment call, but I'm going to lean positive because Gable and Otis ultimately look strong. They keep getting time on TV and that is a big positive development. Also, Cesaro got a massive pop, which should maybe teach WWE a lesson. So I will go with good. Yeah, I'm going to go good too. I, I would basically the only downside was that I just wanted more of them and I hope we continue to get more of them moving forward. I love Otis just wrecking people backstage. Like it looks pretty brutal. So uh, he continues to be, to be awesome in that role. And uh, yeah, good. I love the new look. I love Alpha Academy. Everything about it works for me. Also, I like their theme. I hadn't quite heard it before, but I I first noticed it on that SmackDown. I went and pulled it up on YouTube. It's pretty good. I agree with that as well. Uh, We had Sheamus over on Raw against Humberto Creo in a non-title match. Sheamus screamed at Pierce and DeVille for booking the rematch and threatened to put him being uh, Creo in a mask just like his. Pearson DeVille said they didn't stand for his pre-match attack last week, 
So why didn't they just cancel the match last week? It didn't make any sense. Uh, Sheamus had an awesome new entrance, like I said, with Cesaro, with neon AR uh, signs like in a bar fight like you would see in a bar. That was really cool. As I said, him and Cesaro maybe have the two best augmented reality entrances right now. Damian Priest watched the match backstage. Sheamus powerbombed Creo into the ring apron. Creo got a bunch of offense and a near fall after a missile dropkick. Then he punched Sheamus's metal mask, hurting his hand and giving, giving uh, Sheamus an opening for a bro kick and the win. Now, I don't know why this exact booking could not have been the US title match last week. That's all you really needed to do. I'll never know. But this wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was really right in between. I guess because we're finally moving on from Creo and setting up, I presume, Priest against Sheamus, I'll go with good, but it's just marginally better than bad. Yeah, I'll give it a good if this is the end, but this whole thing's been a mess for weeks because Sheamus got hurt. I, I've said previously on this podcast that they should have just made an interim champion and had Sheamus fight him maybe at Money in the Bank. You know, when, when whenever he was good to go, the way UFC does it, it it's it, it, he hasn't defended the title and had, hadn't defended the title like six weeks before last week or something like that. So I'm going to give it a bad just because I never cared about this feud at all the entire time. But if it is over, then that is good. <laughs> so. That works. Uh, Ali yelled at Mansoor backstage for requesting with management that they team up next week on Raw. Uh, he eventually reluctantly agreed to a one-time only tag team match and said Mansoor better not screw up. Now, my hope is that this is something... Ali suggested from a booking standpoint to kind of get them on TV, give them TV time, help get Mansoor over. Certainly Ali, give him some, you know, opportunity to be on the show. This is a guy who should be wrestling in significant matches. He's extremely talented. He can barely wrestle, barely get on television. I just hope they're not only being shoved together solely due to their looks, even if that is a non-specific way in which Ali sees himself in Mansoor. Like he wants to help Mansoor because he sees his career going the trajectory that Ali's career has gone, right? Uh, and I believe he said that in a promo last week or the week before that. So I hope that's the reality of it. And it's not based on their looks, their religion or anything like that. But just kind of like I said, with the, you know, Sheamus and Carrillo thing, this was good because it wasn't bad. It was also short. I am interested to see their tag team match next week. Yeah, it was it was not much to it. I give it a good just because I, I, I think I like these guys and I'm excited to see what they do next week. And how about that? A, a promotion for something new next week as opposed to just you're getting a rematch next week. So they, they give you something to actually look forward to next week. So it was good. Now, this is something that didn't really happen on Raw or SmackDown, but I, I needed to save it for the show because it affected the WWE main roster. So WWE has moved Mandy Rose to NXT. We discussed what Mandy did in NXT on last Thursday's show, but I didn't break down what it means for WWE, which has now rid itself of four women's tag teams, two of which should have won the titles at some point, but never did. The Iconics were split, but both of them got released. Then the Riot Squad and Ravishing Glow both got nixed because Ruby Riot and Lana got cut. And now the Sexy Muscle Friends were ended just 24 hours after there was an angle on Raw last week right smack in the middle of a month-long build to a title match against Natalia and Tamina. By the way, it was only a 45-second segment that could have easily been removed from a taped show. But Mandy is full-time on NXT, according to PW Insider. So normally, 
we reserve this section, the good, the bad, the ugly, for booking, storylines, and stuff like that. But I just had to say that just like with Karrion Cross, this proved to me that WWE not only doesn't give a shit about NXT, they don't give a shit about continuity, storytelling, or anything like that. We already know that the women's tag team division suffers from terrible booking. It's one thing when WWE main roster takes someone from NXT because at least, okay, in some ways, you can say it's still developmental or a feeder system. It sucks, but we know that's how it goes. It makes no sense for this move to have happened when they could have just had a women's tag team match on Monday night with Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke fighting them and losing. And then if they lose, you have them do a breakup angle and you debut Mandy Rose this upcoming Tuesday on NXT. That's all you needed to do. Instead, we had a month-long storyline that got completely forgotten about and had no conclusion whatsoever. That's the shit that really frustrates me. It shows a total lack of care and respect for the fans paying attention to the product. And honestly, I have no idea why they even moved Mandy Rose in the first place. So in every way, this was ugly. Yep, the number of stories that WWE has just stopped dead in its tracks over the last month is a lot. Going back even back to Aleister Black's debut, uh, this was, I'm not going to say ugly, because nothing's really happening all that much, but I'm, I'm going to give it a bad because, again, especially with the women, especially with the women's tag, there is no planning whatsoever. So we'll stay with the women's tag team division to that point. We had Natalia and Tamina against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler in a non-title match. The only thing different about this match from all the other incarnations of it was Nia's hair. She got a new haircut and it looked nice. Looked nice. They clearly ran this because of Mandy moving to NXT and ending that storyline because there was no match to have. So they just did this instead. Reginald ran interference, but Baszler got distracted and Tamina beat her with a super kick. The crowd actually did pop for the finish to the match. Baszler yelled at Nia saying they were unstoppable before Reggie. So Nia, I thought, was going to attack Baszler, but instead headbutted Reggie to officially break off their relationship. And immediately there were Reggie sucks chants. And then suddenly Akira Tozawa and the 24-7 jobbers all ran down. Tozawa got chased into the ring with the title. Reggie hit a corkscrew crossbody and then a somersault flip sent on on him for a regular non-roll-up one, two, three, to win the 24-7 title. So Chris, I I turned just like the crowd did. I turned from ugly to good really quick. The negative was that it was a repetitive match with Baszler again losing to Tamina, which is ridiculous. But the good is it actually served two different storyline purposes. And Reggie even turned the crowd as fast as I've ever seen a wrestler turn a crowd from (laughs) booing into cheering. He turned Reggie Sucks Chance into Reggie. Reggie Chance on a dime. And we even got a 24-7 title win with real moves. The breakaway should have been Baszler as a single with Reggie and Nia staying together because they are good together. However, if this match happens again, there's no more flexibility for me. I will say, though, this was good. Yeah, it was good. Also, the match is going to happen again because there are only like one or two <laughs> women's tag team. I know. So I know. that's the annoying part. But yeah, no, it was a nice little subverting expectations where they break up with the manager of the tag team. And 
I've been a fan of Reginald the whole time. I think he's, yes, gotten too involved in women's storylines sometimes. But every every time he's had a match, he's been incredibly entertaining and fun to watch. And so to, to see him show that off, I'm pretty sure this is his first, I don't know if you even call it a match, but his first. I think it was his first men's match in WWE. First men's match. Yeah. And, and he got to do some really fun, flippy stuff. And the guy's really talented at that. So if you keep letting him do cool stuff, people are going to like it. So it was good. Just a couple more things before we get out of here. Lily rejoined Alexa Bliss on her playground, which made no sense to me, given that Bliss's character has actually gotten better over the last couple of weeks without Lily. So I have no idea why they brought this thing back. Eva Marie and Dewdrop entered in matching gear. And honestly, I have no idea what happened. Like, I couldn't no, hear it well. The, the <laughs> microphones, yeah, the microphones were screwed up. Um, they joked about throwing Lily in the trash. Then Eva did the most horrible fake trip fall that I've ever seen in my life. And that ended this segment. This was a total piece of trash. You had Alexa Bliss getting major cheers at Money in the Bank. Chris, you can confirm. I think she was one yes. of the two or three most cheered women in that ladder match. And then you bring her back to Raw, you know, where she's been. And you have her get into it with Eva Marie and Dewdrop in this type of shitty segment. This was U-G-L-Y. You ain't got no effing alibi. This was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly, but what was not ugly was Eva Marie and Dewdrop's outfits. I thought they looked really sharp. They look good. Other, otherwise, this was a... I, I, like, blacked out during the segment and, like, caught myself being like, what the hell happened? I don't, it went on, like, for quite a lot longer than you probably think. And and it was a mess. And I don't like the playground being in front of the digital sign with the ring ropes. I've been over this a million times. Why not Alexa, do that on the stage now? Alexa does some really good, good. Alexa has done some really good stuff. I would have loved her to acknowledge her getting buried under 10 ladders on Money in the Bank. She had a lot more edge to her at Money in the Bank. And now she's back to being playful with the doll. And that was a nonsense promo. It was ugly. It's too bad. We had Jackson Riker against Elias Ugly. in a symph symphony of destruction match, which how many of these are we going to have? Like we've had two, both were pretty good, right? And like worthwhile booking. This one happened for no reason. Riker stared at the camera. They went to commercial. Then he interrupted Elias's promo from gorilla position. WWE actually booked this despite knowing that they had to pipe in totally unrealistic crowd noise because people don't like Riker and he sucks. He's a terrible wrestler. I got a, a DM that said, hey, Silver King, I know you may not agree with Riker's politics, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't be given a chance. That's not why. I, do, I, do I disagree with his politics? Yes. We don't talk about that on this show. That's not what the show is about. But I hate Jackson Riker because he has no charisma. He is a terrible wrestler. And if you're going to put him on television and you're going to use him, Use them as a heel because heels don't need charisma in that way. At least heels who are in the low card and can lose matches to baby faces. Jackson Riker is the type of guy who should be losing to Keith Lee upon his return. He is not the type of guy who should be getting piped in fake cheers to try to get him over. They also put this in the third segment of the show where you yes. have John Cena, you're excited. You have a six-man tag where you're like, you know what? Okay, this may be a really good Raw. That was an exciting match. Maybe I didn't love it, but it was good. And then you give us this in the third spot. Riker dodged Elias, who ran into a gong, hit him with a guitar. They did some piano spots. The crowd cheered for real. They did cheer. 
when Elias used the cello twice on Riker because they were not just cheering the cello, they were cheering Elias. Uh, then he kicked out of the pinfall and the crowd booed. Riker then superplexed Elias off the top rope, you know, credit, into two tables outside, which was a big spot, swung his arm over him and got the one, two, three to win. The crowd popped for the spot. But when the camera panned to the fans, they showed like three people cheering and then they did three more camera cuts and no one was cheering. No one was booing. They were indifferent. This shit was insulting. It was ugly despite the big spot at the end. Get Jackson Riker off my television. And if you're going to keep him on my television, stop the face bullshit and stop piping in freaking chants. Yeah, everything about this was just not done correctly. First of all, you're starting with Elias in the ring in front of crowds for the first time in more than a year and a half. He is a heat magnet in those situations. And instead, you don't even get him to stir the crowd into a frenzy like he's so good at doing. Riker interrupts him immediately and says something along like, everybody else interrupts you, so I should as well. Elias hasn't done this for a year and a half. He hasn't been getting interrupted all that much over the last, over in the Thunderdome. It was like, it was such a blown opportunity to, to like, yeah, I wouldn't have done this entire thing, but like at least really get some heat on Elias, which which he is really good at. I know MVP later ripped on people of Dallas, but Elias could have come up with something easily, get people to hate him, then Jackson Riker comes out, you do the match, nobody cares, whatever. That was, that was dumb. The other thing was, I defended the strap match a couple weeks back because there was a story to it, which was Elias kept dodging Jackson Riker, so we couldn't dodge him when they're tied in the strap match. All right, it, you, you you didn't like it, but it was a story. There was no story to this. It was nonsense. It was ugly. I'm done with this. There was a second Tony Storm vignette on SmackDown announcing she's going to make her debut this Friday. It was a quick promotion. I'm totally good for it. Obviously, that's good. We don't really need to go over it. But Tony Storm, big talent being added to the SmackDown women's roster, along with Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox. That's really, really good for a SmackDown women's division that needed it. I'm sure Chris agrees. Lastly here. Yes. I don't know, Chris, did you get a chance to watch Talking Smack uh, no. before? Okay. I did not. So WWE has completely ruined what made Talking Smack and Raw Talk interesting. They, if you remember, they did them at the desk in the Thunderdome. Previously, in incarnations of it, they did it backstage uh, with a big screen at a desk and they had the superstars come up and cut unscripted promos, giving them a chance to get over. Sometimes you'd have fun interactions. You'd have the Daniel Bryan Miz thing you had recently, the Paul Heyman um, Edge thing and the Paul Heyman Big E thing. It's very exciting. Now they are doing a stand-up, like little glass, um, what's, what's it called? A podium backstage having two hosts, one of them, Matt Camp, who I like, no offense to Matt, like introducing a couple backstage interview segments that are the scripted bullshit that we already get on Raw and SmackDown while airing highlights from the show immediately after the show goes off the air. I am, I don't think it's the end of the world that I'm not going to watch Talking Smack and Raw Talk anymore, but it was nice to have that during the week. Oh, you can put it on, you can listen to it. Sometimes there were things that really popped you. I'm never going to watch this anymore. There's no more entertainment value and anything important that gets announced or maybe a good promo that shocks us is going to get posted to Twitter. So WWE, again, ruined something that was going perfectly fine. The, the best promos of the Thunderdome era were typically on Talking Smack. Many Paul of them Heyman would, would get Apollo Crews, Kevin Owens, Dana Bryan. Like, you'd get people going, and they could go, and it'd be really good, and you'd make sure I watched it before the next show. So if that's the case moving forward, 
I wasn't watching it either way, not going to lie, but uh, that was where some of the best promos were coming from. So if this is the case moving forward, that's too bad. Now that is officially the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we did go about 10 minutes longer than Chris and I wanted to go on today's show. But man, look, you give me that Goldberg booking. <laughs> you give me the Karrion Cross booking, the Mandy Rose thing. The Silver King got, got ramped up tonight. I don't think I've given like a good guttural rant on this show in a little while and to get three in one episode i i think you guys got a gift if i if i must say so myself you got to see the silver king uh, after consecutive episodes of being really 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 positive about wwe almost get back to basics here with a couple uh rants but look um we've done a lot of wwe podcasting for you over the last four days or so and the lucky thing at least for us chris we get to kind of take a week break now because our next wwe episode is coming on Tuesday, where, of course, we're going to break down everything that happens on SmackDown and Raw. In between, on Thursday, this coming Thursday, we will have our NXT and AEW show. We're going to find out what the hell Triple H does with Karrion Cross uh, and NXT and AEW has been putting on some banger episodes of Dynamite recently. So we have night two of Fighter Fest to break down this coming Thursday. All of that is going to be very exciting. I would be remiss, of course, to leave this show without making sure you guys remember what the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about. So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love the show. Tell your friends and family, your coworkers, anyone you know who likes wrestling, please let them know about the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And hell, give them the Big E uh, interview as an entree to get into the show. Uh, maybe the instant analysis as well. Look, I appreciate all you guys listening. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It has been a long week. I am excited that fans are back in WWE. I'm excited that Money in the Bank was such a damn good pay-per-view. Let's hope, beyond all hope, that Raw was a speed bump on what maybe is going to be a much smoother road to SummerSlam. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but we'll certainly let you know every Tuesday here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So for Vintage Chris Benini, this is the Silver King Adam Silver King, and I'm going to leave you once again with three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>